you've ever been to a black church? Okay, all right, about, about, about a third of you. A third of you have been... That's cool, thank you. That's your, that's your record. All right, perfect. About a third of you have been to a black church, amen? amen. Okay, some of you lied. I could tell. A third of you have been to a black church, amen? Amen. There you go. Okay, all right, that's good, that's good. So if you have not been to a black church, I'm going to help you act like you were at a black church today. So there's going to be a couple of times where I'm going to invite you to respond. And when I say that, I really mean I want you to respond. That's not like I want you to think about it, but I want you to respond. There you go. And if, you, if, I, if I say something that just seems like God might be in that moment, you can feel free to clap your sticks. If you don't have sticks, you can clap your hands, you can smack your leg, you can pat the back of your neighbor. That's not to build me up. That's not to build me up. It's just to edify and, and, and to suggest that we agree with the word of God. Amen? Amen. All right, all right. So here we go. Let's try again. Let's try again. When was the first time that you remember recognizing that there was people around you that did not look like you? Thank you. Yes, five, ten, five. Some of y'all still haven't recognized it. Seven. Some people just haven't really thought about it yet, and that's okay. Zero, zero, my boy, my boy, zero. Well, I'm gonna tell you about the first time that I remember it. I'm gonna tell you about the first time that I remember it. So settle into this story if you would. I was about five years old the first time I remember thinking to myself, I don't look like everybody else. Let me tell you a little bit about why that's true. My mom, she's white. Raise your hand in the here if you're white. Okay. Some of y'all was embarrassed to raise your hand. You didn't have to. We could tell. All right. My dad, my dad who is no longer with us, he's black. Raise your hand in the space if you're black. Okay, look, look. I said raise your hand if you're black. They were like, whoa! Yes. Hey, I saw you. You shot your hand on your body, almost went with it. He was like, yes. Right? All right, so look, look, look. So my mom and dad, black and white, they got together. And when, when you put that together, you end up with something that looks like this. And I just happen to think this is glorious, right? I think this is just fantastic. I think it's fantastic. My wife, by the way, thinks it's fantastic too. I, I convinced her. She said yes, all right? So praise the Lord for that. So check it out, check it out. I was, I was about five years old the first time I remembered. I was in a grocery store. I didn't know who my dad was. My dad wasn't a part of my life. He was absent from my story. I was in a grocery store with my mom, and I remember seeing this guy. Now, this will age you. For those of you who aren't old enough to recognize this person, just Google it, okay? But I remember, I was like, wow. He looks like Denzel Washington. This is what I was thinking at age five. Around age five was the time that movie Philadelphia came out. For those who don't remember, you can look that up as well. And so I remember being like, wow, he kind of looks like Denzel. And I was just like, if I knew who my dad was, that's what I would want him to look like. So I started thinking, that must be dad. That must be dad. Like, that has to be it. And I remember looking over to my mom at five years old and being like, mom, mom. Is that dad? And I remember my mom falling apart. She just fell to pieces. Her heart was broken. And it's not because that was my dad. That was the furthest thing from my dad. This dude was like six foot four. My dad was like five foot nothing, okay? This dude was tall and slender. My dad looked like me, all right? So it just wasn't the case. Who laughed about that? <laughs> it, just, it, just, it just wasn't the case, amen. right? I, it, it, amen. It clearly was not my dad. But here's what I did recognize later on in life. My mom's heart broke because at age five, I began to recognize that I had one leg that was black and I had one leg that was white. And I was trying to live in a world that I could not identify with no matter where I went. When I hung out with a bunch of white kids, I just felt like something was missing in my life. 
when I hung out with a bunch of my black friends, I felt like something was missing in my life. Let me confuse you even more. My last name is Garcia, all right? I grew up in a town that is about 85% Hispanic. Everybody looks like me. Everybody talks to me like I should understand what they're saying, but I didn't, right? Like, I mean, I just grew up really, really confused. And at age five, for the first time, I looked around and said, I don't get it. There's something missing here. There's something wrong here. And that started a journey for the rest of my, my, my childhood and into my young adult years where I was like, who am I? Anybody remember that song that came out by Michael Jackson? You know the song I'm talking about? Come on, not, who's that thriller? Woo! No, remember Michael Jackson sang this song about black and white? Anybody remember that song? If you are mixed, you know that song. If you're mixed, you know that song because you're just like, yes, I, I get this. Right? Like the questions that were coming in my mind were all wrapped around this question of like, who am I? Who am I? And then, I, you know, later on in life, I, I came to know Christ. I didn't know Christ until I was 16 years old. At 16 years old, I, I came to know Jesus. And I, and I understood this new identity that I had. But then my world got wrecked even more. So check this out and lean forward if you're paying attention. Don't lean too much, you'll fall. But, but check this out. When I came to know Christ and I recognized that I had, I'm a new creature, a new creation, I have a, a new identity, I had more questions than answers. Because now my questions were, well, if I'm a new creature, if I'm a new identity, y'all better get ready to clap. If I'm a new creature, if I have a new identity, then why doesn't the church look more like what I imagine the kingdom of God to look like? If you've never thought about this question, I am spoon feeding you things to talk about. And youth leaders, I am sorry, your day is going to be wrecked. Right? Because your students are coming back with a bunch of questions. And you're like, uh, talk to the senior pastor about that. I don't know. Right? Like... <laughs> I, I get it, but here's the reality. Here's the reality, folks. If we are new, new creatures, if we have a new identity, then isn't it, doesn't, what is, doesn't it say in Scripture that our new identity is under Christ, no longer who we used to be, but now who God has made us to be? Amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you, young man. Thank you. That was good. All right, John chapter 4. I want to I help you see that this isn't the first time that anybody's ever talked about this or thought about this. See, see, Jesus actually has this encounter with this woman at the well. And when we read this story, we probably read this story a thousand times, but we never talk about it from the racial side of things. We never talk about it from the divide that exists. We never talk about what Jesus overcame in this moment, in this encounter with this woman that would indeed change the reality for you and for me going forward. I believe that racial reconciliation was put on display in John chapter 4. And as we read that story, as we actually look at that story and understand the context of it, we can actually begin to say there is a way for us today to bridge the gap that exists between races. There's a way to overcome the divide. There's a way for, there's a way for minorities and majorities to begin to associate to begin to do life, to begin to uh, worship together, to begin to uh, engage together that, that, that is set on example by Jesus and therefore has set forward for us a plan that we can live in. Amen. John chapter 4, get it out if you got it. In my church, when you get to the word of God, you say amen when you find the right page. So John chapter 4. 
Yes. All right, John chapter 4, here's what it says. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. And although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but it was his disciples, so he left. What did he do? Come on, what did he do? He left and he went back once more. And this is important. Where did he go? He went to Galilee. Galilee. Any of my uh, Cedarville people or anybody else who went to Bible college, you kind of help us paint a picture of, uh, of where Galilee is? All right, you can't. That's okay. Point north. Everybody, everybody do this with me. Just point up. It doesn't matter if this is really north. You probably point somewhere else. But point up high. All right. Now, now Jesus is currently down here. All right. He's currently down here. All right. And now here's the important part. You got to understand this. Where is Samaria? Samaria is right in the middle. So, all right. So Jesus is down in Jerusalem. He's going to make his way. He's going to he's going to he's going to make his way up to Galilee and on the way he's going to stop for what I consider to be a divine appointment. Let me help you understand what a divine appointment is. A divine appointment is a time in which you show up to a place because God wanted you to be there, even though you don't know why you're going. Anybody ever have one of those moments? Anybody ever show up somewhere and it seemed like God did something in them or with them or through them, even though they didn't know that's what was planned? That's a divine appointment. That's an appointment that God has set up, that God has been put into motion, that God said, this is what's going to be. You're like, God, why am I going? I don't know. I'm just being faithful to what you ask, God. So I'm just going. And then halfway there, you're like, oh, now I get it. I get why I was here. I get why I went. Jesus is about to have one of those moments. All right, stay with me in the scripture. It says this. Uh, now he had to go through Samaria. Where? He had to go through Samaria. Let me tell you something. I'm not saying the scripture isn't true. I am not saying the scripture isn't true. But I'm saying that Jesus was going to go through Samaria. And that was something that everybody else would not have done. Everybody else, all other good speaking Jews would have walked around Samaria. Jesus is going to go straight line through it. Jesus is going to follow the river straight up from Jerusalem up to Galilee. He's going to walk the banks of the river. He didn't have to. All other good, faithful Jews would have said, I will not go to this place. Let me help you understand why. Anybody know who Samaritans are? Who are they? They're what? They're mixed. They're half Jews. They were known as the half breed. They were known as the crossover. They were lesser than. Samaritans felt like they belonged to the Jewish covenant. But, 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 the Samaritans, but the Jews did not think that because the Jews were like, well, you're not pure Jew. You're not really one of us. You're, 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 you're kind of like us, but not really one of us. And so the Jews were like, you, you're, you're, you're outcast. You're like, you know, stepsister th twice removed. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the redheaded stepchild. Anybody redhead? Sorry. You know, like, you, you get what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. You know, you're the ginger in the room. Like, like, I mean, really, you're just like, hey, I just feel like I don't fit. Pay attention. Go back to my story. Looking at somebody who looks like they should belong. And they, maybe they feel like they belong. But, but for whatever reason, you're like, you don't really fit with us. Right? So good, faithful Jews would have said, Samaritans, and we don't mix. Matter of fact, you're going to see that in the scripture where the disciples are going to be like, dude, what are you doing, Jesus? Why are you talking to a woman? And by the way, did you know that she's a Samaritan woman? And Jesus is like, divine appointment. Divine appointment. I'm just doing my father's business. I'm just trying to do what my father would have me to do. All right, so here's what it says. It says, uh, Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar uh, near the plot of ground of Jacob. 
that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, there Jacob's well was, and Jesus was tired from his journey, so he sat down at the well. It was about noon. So around 12 o'clock, Jesus is walking along, and he's like, you know, I feel a little bit tired and thirsty. And so he sits down at a well. Think about this for a second. Jesus, Jesus, understand who we're talking about. Jesus said, man, I just feel a little tired and thirsty, so I'm going to sit here and just wait and see what happens. Y'all know this is Jesus, right? Y'all understand that Jesus had some divine ability, right? You get this, right? Yeah. Fully human, but yet fully God, right? 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 So Jesus, in his humanity, man, I'm thirsty. But in his divinity, could easily have been like, yo, water, let's go, right? But he sits and he waits. Here again, I want you to get this. He's waiting for a divine appointment. He's waiting. He sits down at the well. He's like, I'm just going to hang out and just see what God does. And so he hangs out at the well until God does something. Then a woman, a woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Jesus looked at the woman, knowing who she is, knowing what she is, knowing that she is a half-breed, knowing that she's a Samaritan. Jesus looked at her and breaks all of the cultural boundaries. Get this. What Jesus just did in speaking directly to her went against everything, everything that society said should be. It went against everything that a faithful Jew should do. Where Jesus looked at her and said, hey, can I get a glass of water? And you know the story from there, right? The woman says, uh, why are you asking me for water? And Jesus said, well, if you knew who asked you for water, you would ask me for water. And I give you water and never make you never thirsty again. And she looks and says, I want that water. Can I have some of that water? You guys get that story, right? How many of y'all understand that story? Understand that story? Amen. All right, cool, cool, cool. Fast forward through the story because we're going to get to the part we never talk about. So she leaves that well, right? She leaves the well. You can read the rest on your own. She leaves the well. She runs into town. She walks up to everybody she sees. She says, hey, you got to come meet this guy. He told me everything about me because Jesus knew about her story. He knew that she had had a bunch of husbands, and, and, she, and, 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 and he, he knew that she wasn't being faithful. And so Jesus had kind of called her out on that in a loving kind of way. And she ran around town and said, hey, that guy, he must be the Messiah because he knows everything about me. Come out, come out, come out, come out. And the story says that, that the people came out and that many came to know Jesus. But I bet you we never talk about this verse. Go on in that story. The end of chapter 4. Whew, sorry. Yeah, here we go. All right, all right. Go, go with me to uh, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him, in him, that's Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told them everything that, he had did, that I had ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days. I don't know if you get what just happened here. But this is the key to racial reconciliation. This verse right here is the key to reconciliation. It says that Jesus stayed there for two days, two days, that's a weekend. Jesus spent a weekend with the half-breed. Jesus spent a weekend as the minority amongst the majority when he's used to being the majority amongst the minority. 
I don't know if you hear me right now, but I'm trying to start preaching here. Jesus spent a weekend with the, with the minority when he's used to being the majority. Jesus showed up and he stayed put. The church talks, it talks with excitement around the idea of saying we have a new identity, that we are new people in Christ. But when we look at our churches, we sure look like the old identity. Amen? amen. That's unfortunate, but it's still an amen, right? When we look around, we say everybody seems to look like me. Everybody seems to talk like me. We like the same kind of music. We all off rhythm. We all off beat. Like we get it. So if we really want to talk about being excited for bringing about the kingdom of God, I believe that this is true, that we as the people of God usher in the kingdom of God. We are meant to put on display to the world what the kingdom of God really looks like, what God is about. Be about your father's business. Be about your daddy's job. Like if we're really excited about that, if we're really jazzed up about that, if we really desire to say to our kids, these are my kids right here, my kids not yet but soon are going to try to figure out who they are. They're right now figuring out who they are in Christ, but sooner or later they're going to look at mommy and daddy and they're going to look at their friends and say, this is kind of cool and yet kind of confusing. Help us understand this. If we want to usher the people of God into the kingdom of God, then we've got to create a community that looks like we value what God values. So how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we do it? It's got to be more. It's got to be more than just sitting around talking about it. Sooner or later, we have to take some intentional steps. We got to look for the divine appointments. We got to say, God, I'll show up. Love like Jesus, that's really important. But here's what Jesus did to put that love on display. He went and spent the weekend. Jesus could have. This would have been totally fine. You could read that story without that verse. Jesus met the woman at the well. He had a great encounter with her. He went on about his business. But that's not what happened. The disciples came up to him and said, Jesus, why are we spending time talking to these people? these people I'm about my daddy's business right so Jesus not only talks to these people he intentionally immerses himself say that immerses himself say that he intentionally immerses himself into their culture into their context into their world he doesn't come in trying to flip everything over and change it he simply represents the kingdom of God, the people of God, and God himself everywhere he goes. And so upon the invitation, he saves. My wife and I, when we started dating, we, uh, there are a lot of things we like to do in life. I don't know what you like to do, but you can share my passion on this one. We, we, we love to bowl. Anybody, anybody like to bowl? Bowl? I challenge you. I mean, I mean, cool, cool. So we love to bowl. We love to bowl. But look, we, uh, we made an intentional decision. My wife, Michelle, uh, grew up in, 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 the, in the neighborhoods that we were, uh, where she was still living when we, when we started dating. And uh, we made an intentional decision. There were a couple of bowling alleys around us. There was, you know, there was kind of a couple more affluent bowling alleys. But just over onto the city line, there was this, literally on the city line, that's what it's called. But just over the city line, there was this bowling alley that was, uh, that was an all-black bowling alley. Now, there were no signs that said all-black bowling alley. It just was no white people that bowled there. It was just an all-black bowling alley. And we just started saying, you know, like, we are all about trying to figure out 
how to really represent the kingdom of God. And so when we said we wanted to bowl, we just said, you know what? We're just going to bowl there. And we started bowling there. And it was kind of cool. We walked in and everybody was like, who are they? Right? And then at first they were like, who is he? Like, I, I look like I halfway belong. Right? And, and, then, and then Michelle looked like she didn't belong at all. They're giving me a mic. They don't feel I'm loud enough. Michelle. No, I'm all right. I mean, I'll take it if you want it, though. I don't care. All right. All right, all right, here we go. Amen. 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 That's good, that's good. All right, there you go. So we started bowling in this bowling alley. I don't have to yell anymore. We started bowling in this bowling alley, and and we were there for, we were there for a couple, I was louder without the mic. We were there for a couple of, we were there for a couple of weeks, and we started making friends. We started getting to know people. And before you knew it, about, you know, three, four, five, six months into the, to this bowling league, we bowled there for 10 years. About six months into this bowling league, I mean, we was just part of the community. We, we weren't the, the mixed couple. She wasn't the white girl. We were just part of the community. And what happened over the next nine and a half years was we built relationships we started getting invited to things. We started talking to people about things. We started talking about our church, and we started talking about things that we were passionate about. And they started sharing their stories. And there were a lot of folks there who did not believe in God, and they started asking us kind of questions. And they'd be like, why do you wear those weird yellow T-shirts? And so we got to talk about that. And it just opened all kind of doors. Here's what I'm saying when I say this. You can't be about your daddy's business if you're only about hanging out with people that look like you. Get ready. They said you don't preach until you start stepping on people's toes. You can't be about your daddy's business if you're only about hanging out with people that look like you. If you're only about worshiping with people who worship like you. If you're only about talking to people who talk like you. See, being about your daddy's business means that you're going from Jerusalem and you're on your way to Galilee. And on the way, you decide to stop in the forbidden land. You decide to stop in the place that everybody else is avoiding. And you don't just stop there. You stop at the most known place there where you are sure to be seen. And you say, I'm going to be about my daddy's business right here. What are you doing right now to bridge the gap that exists between the majority and minorities in our country? As a follower of Christ... What are you doing right now to bridge the gap that exists? Let me, uh, let me help you by saying a couple of things. Whether you think there's a gap or not, there is. Whether you choose to receive that or you choose to reject that is actually irrelevant. There's a gap. There's a gap. There's a gap from the point of birth. There's a gap. There's a gap in resource. There's a gap in reach. There's a gap in 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 in, uh, in in education. There's a gap in. You know, I mean, there's just a big gap. And it doesn't matter if you're talking suburbs or you're talking urban. I, I live in an urban context. Many of you live in a suburban context. Some of you live in the not yet discovered context. You know, otherwise known as Lancaster. It's it's true. There's like ten people. I mean, it's cool. But, but get it, there is, there's a gap that exists. So let me ask you, what are you doing? 
As a church, how are you educating yourselves to say, hey, like, we want to be about our daddy's business? Let me just tell you what our church just did. About four weeks ago, um, we just said, you know, we have to be more serious about this conversation. And we, we invited a panel of people to come in. And we brought local pastors and missionaries and folks who uh, are, are more professional in, the field, in, in this context and in this field than we are. And uh, we put a panel together and then we invited a couple of hundred folks to come and sit in a room. And listen in and then ask intentional questions. And the question that we were really wrestling with is how can we bridge the gap between majority and minority in the church? What does that look like? I said this in my, in my, uh, in my message on, on Thursday, but I'll, it's worth saying again. You cannot turn on the news. You cannot turn on the news, call yourself a follower of Christ, and not be heartbroken every time. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a majority or a minority. You can't do it. As a follower of Christ who's passionate about daddy's business, your heart needs to break. We're just while we're here, just while we're here um, this week, you can be praying about this. There's a girl in uh, about, about two towns over from ours, um, African-American girl, young girl, probably 17 years old. And uh, she is a vi- was a victim of road rage. The guy who uh, cut her off and uh, became frustrated with her driving for whatever those details of that story are, we'll never really know. But this gentleman uh, got a gun out and shot her while she was driving, killed her. Now, I don't know any of the stories about that. I don't know anything that she did wrong. I, I do know some things that he did wrong just simply by what we've heard. But what I know is this. It doesn't matter if, if, if my right leg, my white leg is identifying with the news, or my black leg is identifying with the news. My Christ heart breaks. It breaks. Because I know that when my black friends watch that news story, they feel threatened. They feel hurt. They feel discouraged. They feel like they're victimized again. And I know when my white friends watch that news story, they also feel threatened, hurt, and victimized in part by their own culture and in part by assumptions that are placed onto their culture, they're heartbroken too. And I know this. I know the Father's business for you and for me would say we are about reconciliation. We are about bringing the body back together. We are not about this divide. And so, therefore, we have to, we have to begin to do something. What y'all have for lunch today? Anybody have, well, don't bother telling me. Don't bother telling me. I know you, you guys were going to practice that church thing. You are going to shout out all at once, but don't bother. How many people here like mayonnaise? Mayonnaise. Come on. Come on. Don't raise your hand. How many people here like mayonnaise? All right. Some of y'all still awake. That's good. All right. Here, here, here. I'm going to, this mayonnaise is a great illustration. So hang on to this one. You can borrow this one on your own. Mayonnaise is made up of three things. Y'all probably know this, right? Oil. Water. An egg. If you combine oil, oil, water, and egg, you get mayonnaise. So, by the way, next time you're spreading that on your sandwich, just think about that. Right? Like, that's what you're putting on there. But think about this for a second. What do you know about oil and water? They don't mix. You pour them both into a bowl, and they separate. They repel each other, actually. So, egg, in the case of mayonnaise, is known as the great emulsifier. 
It's a process called emulsification. When, when one thing is added to two others that naturally repel, and instead of repelling, these two separate items draw together upon which they both like something in common. So the oil naturally gravitates toward the white of the egg, and the water naturally gravitates toward the white of the egg. And then, therefore, when mixed with the egg, they can all gel as one. Now, check this out. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that we have a greater emulsifier. I want to tell you that we have someone that is indeed purposed to bring about reconciliation. We have someone that is indeed purposed to help my black brother and my white brother stand next to each other and say we can be one. We have someone who draws together the body of Christ and says it doesn't matter if I worship in black church or white church. I worship the one authentic and true God. And therefore, the greater emulsifier in this story is Christ. The greater emulsifier is Christ. Everything the world around you says is this. It says you don't look alike, so you shouldn't hang out. I know this story to be true. Let me tell you real quickly this story. Let me tell you real quickly this story. I just looked at my kids. I'm sorry. Let me tell you real quickly this story. My, my mom and my dad, they started dating in a time in which the world would tell them it wasn't okay. Y'all got to follow. You got you to fill in the gaps because I can't tell the story with greatest detail here. They started dating in a time in which the world would say it's not okay. All right? You get what I'm saying? Not if you see what I'm saying. I got two small kids here, okay? All right, cool. So the world would say, hey, that's not okay. That, you know, that, that just, that just, that's not right. So I know that, that, that whether we like it or not, we are set up in the world around us to say we're meant to repel. We're meant to focus on what makes us different. And I think that that is true. I think that I actually do believe that that is true. Life is just a lot easier when you hang out with people that look like you and like the same things you like. Try picking a movie on Friday night. Right? If you hang out with people who like things you don't like, you're like, well, you can't agree. But if you just hang out with everybody who's like you, you're like, hey, I know what we're doing on Friday. It's great. It's cool. It's just not the kingdom of God. Because if we get to the other side and everybody, if, if this is it, if this is it, and this is the only language we hear, and everybody just kind of looks kind of like, and I'm so, I'm disappointed. Now, look, I, God can make that right, and he can fix it in, in, in terms of my disappointment. But, but still, today, I'm saying I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed because I am looking forward to that scripture where it says, you know, like speaking in like multiple tongues, many languages, many nations. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to the day when the body of Christ comes together and it doesn't look anything like any of us. When the majority is the majority we haven't even begun to understand yet. When the body of Christ really looks like what we believe and we're willing to put our life on the line for. When the kingdom of God draws near, the body of Christ is emulsified. To the cross. I want to point you to a couple more scriptures. So get your Bibles back out. If you would, please. All right, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Let's get there. Let's turn these as fast as we can. Romans chapter 10. I want to help you understand that I'm not the first person to think about this. See, God had preordained this idea for you. And that's not a theological statement about preordained. Yeah, about, yeah, that word, yeah. 
<clears throat> Romans chapter 10, here's what it says in verse 12. It says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Let me make that, cultural, uh, let me make that culturally and contextually relevant for today. There is no difference between black and white. There is no difference between Hispanic and white. There is no difference between majority and minority. You see, the same Christ died for them all. I don't think you heard that. The same Christ died for them all. I don't need a black Christ to die for me. I don't need a white Christ to die for me. I don't need a Spanish Christ to die for me. You don't need a different Christ to die for you. The same Christ has paid the price that we might all be one with the Father. Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. Get there, get there quickly. Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10. If you're not getting there, just try to remember these and look these up later because these are the verses that you're going to sit down with later when you start to wrestle with these questions. When you start to say, how does the body of Christ begin to look different than this? When you get off to college, I went to Eastern University. It was a great school. If you get a chance to go someplace like that, I mean, it's a great opportunity for you to dive into a community where it's not going to look like you. It's just not. It doesn't matter who you is. It's not. I'm sure there's other schools that that's true for as well. But check this out, Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation. From where? Come on, wake up, y'all. From where? Every you know, from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. You mean to tell me that the kingdom of God is not limited to the majority? You mean to tell me that the kingdom of God is not limited to the minority? You mean to tell me that the kingdom of God is open to anyone that might confess Jesus to be Lord? Yeah, I mean, I'm not the one who said it. I'm just the one who preached it. Someone else wrote it. I just get to repeat it. The kingdom of God is intended for, it's meant for the body of Christ. And as the majority or the minority, you're just a finger. There's a lot more body out there. All right, let's get a couple more real quick. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Get there as quickly as you can. Colossians chapter 3. Here's what it says in verse 11. Let me hear at least one amen so I can start preaching. Here there is no Gentile or Jew. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no barbarian, no Scythian, no slave, no free. But Christ is all and is in all. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Let me give you some quick take-homes. If you want to be about your daddy's business and you want to be about this idea of reconciliation, go back to your church and count how many white pictures of Jesus you see. Count them. I know I'm getting personal. Count them. And then sit down with your youth pastor. I am guilty. I'm a pastor of a local church. We have white pictures of Jesus in our church. Sit down with your youth pastor or your pastor or anybody else who gets to make a decision in your church and just ask this question. If we're really about reconciliation, if we're really about trying to bring about the picture of the kingdom of God, how are my black friends going to identify with this Jesus? To the black guys who are here and black ladies, put your hand up real quick. Any of y'all go to a black church? Keep your hand up. If you're black and you go to a black church, keep your hand up. Just one. You got You got Oh, two, 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 two. I'm going to ask you both this is an important question. Are there any pictures of white Jesus in your church? Not one. You think one? 
All right, so you guys go to the same church? You looked at each other. You go to the same church? Kind of, once in a while. Okay, all right, but here's the point. Here's the point. Check this out. I've been to a couple of black churches in my life too. Black churches have pictures of black Jesus. White churches have pictures of white Jesus. None of us actually have pictures of Jesus, amen? So if we're going to be about daddy's business, then let's start being about daddy's business. Let's paint a picture that tells the story that the Christ who we follow represents the body, the whole body. Right? So let's not paint a picture that he's lily white with blonde hair and, uh, you know, and, and he still had his makeup on. Right? Like, it's just not who he was. It's just not who he was. I'm saying this as a silly example because I know that, it's, that this is a deeply and, 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 and almost a, a dangerous conversation because of how easy it would be to tread on somebody's toes. But I want to say this. If you're going to be about reconciliation, you've got to have intentional hard conversations. Stay the weekend. Invest. Find yourself moving into a community that doesn't look like you and asking those questions. If you're a part of a youth group, start saying to youth pastor, hey, can we start, can we start doing things with some other churches? Some other churches that, that don't look like us? Like, what's that look like? Let's do some retreats with people who don't look like us. Let's just figure out how to, how, how, how to merge, right? Right? Let's figure out how to do joint worship nights. And let's not just worship in the style we worship. Let's worship in the style they worship as well, Right? Right? I mean, what would this be like? What would it be like if you had people in the room who could clap on beat and people in the room who couldn't clap on beat? Right? And somehow you decided you was going to do it together. Right? What would it be like? What would it be like? Oh, what would it be like? What would it be like if half the people showed up with flags and they was waving them and they was dancing and they was stepping and the rest of the people were like, I've never seen that before. Like, what would it be like? You know what it would be like? It would be like the kingdom of God. It would be like a picture of what eternity will be because we're going to get before the Father someday. Someday we're going to get before the Father, and I'm going to be like, I wish I could clap like he can. I got my mom's side on the rhythm side, all right? I, I got such bad rhythm. I was dancing at my wedding, and my wife was like, please stop. Please stop. It's not true. It's not true. It's not true. She feels, she feels, she feels like I'm stretching the truth, but that's how I remembered at least. That's how bad it was. Like, I got mom's side on some of those things, but, yo, I can hoop. I can hoop, all right? I can hoop. I could when I was thinner at least. All right, so, so look, there are th just a reality, just a reality here. If we're going to be about daddy's business, if we're going to say, hey, reconciliation is really important, if we're going to say the picture of the kingdom of God looks more than just like you and me, then we've got to have some intentional conversations. Jesus was on his way, and he said, i got a divine appointment. I'm going to sit at this well, and I'm going to wait for that appointment to come to be. And as he waited, he met the woman, and he engaged with her. And after he engaged with her in that conversation, she ran into town. She was so moved by it. She ran into town. The people were so moved by who Jesus was. They said, would you spend a weekend with us? And Jesus could have naturally said, no, I won't do that. But instead, he said, let me be intentional. I'll sit here for the weekend with you. And he immersed himself into a culture that was not his. And upon doing so, this is what the scripture says after that. Many came to know him because of that. I know I'm out of time, but i got to ask you to bow your heads and pray with me. And when, when we're praying, I want to ask you to, uh, I'm, I'm going to invite you to have a moment that is just repentive. Repentant. Repentant. I didn't even get to talk today about the reality that you and I probably have made some choices along the way that have built into the separation and segregation that exists in our country, knowingly or unknowingly. 
you and I have have bought into stereotype, stereotypes and lies that the culture and the community tell us that uh, that suggest that, that things are geared toward or only meant for specific people groups. You and I have used words and slang at times that is more degrading than we even understand because in our majority or minority context, those words are, 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 are accepted. Well, I want to say this. As a new creature in Christ, everything is meant to be redeemed by the cross. My understanding of who I am is no longer a black guy or a white guy or a mixed guy. I'm a Christ guy. I am someone who is committed to what Christ has done. I'm going to invite you into a prayer that you might be able to say, Lord, I'm sorry for any of those moments I've been a part of. Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray right now, and I, I turn my back because I'm praying with the people, God. I'm not praying for the people. I'm praying with the people, God. And I suggest, Lord, that there have been times along the way when I could have been about daddy's business, but it just didn't seem like it was so easy or it just didn't seem like it was what I'd want to do. And so I just went about my own. I kept moving. I made my way around Samaria and made my way up to Galilee. Oh, God, thankful that Christ did not do that. Thankful that Christ stayed the weekend. Thankful that Christ set the example. Thankful that Christ broke the barriers. Thankful that Christ overcame and defeated the, uh, the cultural divide. Thankful that Christ said that, that, that race is not what's going to divide us. Thankful that Christ stretched out his arm and said, this is for my black friends. This is for my white friends. This is for all my other friends that represent someone else. This, 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 this death on the cross, the resurrection from the grave is meant for all who might believe and receive new life. Paul says that we're meant to be reconcilers. We're meant to be people that draw people together. And I pray, Lord God, right now that each one of us would have a moment to say, Daddy, I'm sorry for any time I could have been someone that emulsified, that brought people together. But instead, I continue to sell into or buy into things that divided. Father God, I ask that you would renew our hearts today. I pray, God, that you would equip us to have intentional and difficult conversations. I pray, God, for leaders in this space that would be able to, to, uh, to engage with their students and their youth and their churches and the families that might be here at Creation, God, and say, hey, like, what do we do with that talk? How do we apply that to our life in a way that changes things? I pray that somebody from this group might, might go back and say, hey, church, let's, let's do a panel. Let's invite people to come and talk about race in our church. And uh, talk about the hurts that have happened and seek forgiveness from that and talk about how we can begin to bridge those gaps. I pray, God, that someone from here might begin to say, hey, let's, let's partner up with another church that doesn't look like us and begin, to, and begin to, to figure out how to do church together. Like Youth groups might say, hey, let's do joint retreats or let, let's, let's hang out and have pizza together. and let's, let's just be intentional about breaking down things that have divided us before. God, there are theological reasons why, why divisions happen. And I don't speak to those theological reasons today. But, Lord God, I do pray that those divisions might not happen or might no longer exist based upon our race and our inability to have open conversation about how we understood who we were before Christ redeemed us. Lord God, I am not a black guy. I am not a white guy. I'm not a mixed guy. I'm not a confused guy. I'm just simply a guy who identifies 
to have been saved and redeemed by the blood of Christ. And so, Lord God, I pray that that would be true for everybody who can hear my voice today. That everybody here might be able to one day say, if not already, that they've surrendered their life to Jesus Christ to be the Lord, the Savior of their soul. The one who redeemed and restored them and has called them a new creature. Given them a new identity and purposed them for daddy's business. God, would you bless these folks? Thanks for them coming out, sitting in the rain and the sun and the mud and just having a, just a good time. Thanks for their participation. And even more than that, thanks for the ways that I am encouraged in seeing them pursue you. God, I pray that the rest of their day here and their trip home would be blessed by you, shown favor, and divine appointments might be along the way. In Jesus' name, God bless you and amen.